The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. So we're back in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Let's just remember some of the basics. Chapters one to eight were about the majesty of who Jesus is. He's the eternal son of God who's put on flesh to come and and seek and save sinners like me, like you, like us. So chapters one to eight remind us of who Jesus is. Chapters nine to 19 focus on what it means to follow him. Focus on what it means to know him, to, uh, to obey him, to grow in him. And so today, as you heard, we get to learn how to pray. And as, as I was working through this text, I was realizing I feel kind of unqualified to teach this. I'm no expert on prayer. I struggle with prayer. Uh, I often find it sweet. I definitely find it essential. But I, I usually find it difficult as well. Anybody out there, your mind wanders when you pray? Anybody out there, you're like, I could pray or I could check social media on my phone. Uh, it's hard to pray. I need help. I need help to pray. But that's kind of the beauty of the passage, isn't it? The disciples say, hey, Jesus, we need help to pray. And what does Jesus then give? He gives help. This is how to pray. So I wanna work through four things with you this morning. Number one, who this prayer is for. This is a, this is a, this is a unique opportunity for a certain group of people. Who this prayer is for. Number two, how prayer works. What are we doing when we pray? Number three, principles to pursue in prayer. We'll see those. And then number four, Jesus closes with the attitude he wants you to have in prayer. So who the prayer's for, how the prayer works, principles to pursue, and the attitude of prayer. First of all, who the prayer is for. Just look with me real quick at verse one. Who's talking to Jesus? Who is it? It's one of his disciples. What's it mean to be a disciple? Someone who trusts Jesus, follows Jesus, wants to obey Jesus. What does the disciple call Jesus? What's his title for Jesus? Lord. So how does this person see Jesus? You're my king. You're my boss. You're my Lord. My life is about you. Lord, teach us to pray. So, so how, many, you, you know, how many of you, you've heard this language before? Our Father who art in heaven, it, right? Have you been in church for 30 seconds, you probably heard that once. And what do we tend to call that prayer? The Lord's Prayer, okay, all right. Read John 17 and you'll see the Lord's Prayer. You know what we could call this? The Disciples' Prayer. Because who's he teaching how to pray? Disciples, hey, if you're my people, this is how you should pray. This is unique for Jesus' disciples. You see that when the first word of the prayer is, when you pray, say what? Father, when you pray, say Father. It just reminds us of the unique privilege of prayer. Did you know the rest of the world cannot pray like this? God is not everyone's father in the same way, right? This is a unique privilege for Christians. Now folks, is it because we're better? No, not at all. It has nothing to do with that at all. It's because we're loved. It's because we're loved, right? What has Jesus done for you? He lived a perfect life and has given that standing to you 
through faith. He died on the cross and took away all the penalty of your sins. And you receive that through faith. He rose from the dead, earning your adoption. You have this unique access to come before God and call him Father and believe that he actually wants to hear from you. He actually wants to hear from you. Do you are you amazed by that? First of all, that God is so big, the creator. Why would he want to hear from me, one of 60 kabillion people on the earth? Not only that, God's a holy judge. I've sinned against him, I've rebelled. Why would he want to listen to me? And yet we know that through the gospel, we're loved and we are drawn into his presence and and God is almost waiting to hear from you. What a privilege we have. And that helps me, because if you're like, oh, let's pray, gosh, it's kind of boring. Oh, my word, right? Um, how would you feel, you know, if your friend, if you're like, hey, you're talking to your best friend, you want to hang out for coffee? And they're like, huh, boring. <laughs> really? You get to fellowship with God who loves you in this unique way. I'm reminded of this verse from Hebrews. It talks about Jesus as our priest. And then Hebrews 4.16 says this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Isn't this amazing? What's the attitude you get to have as you come before God's throne? Confidence that you're welcome there, that he wants to hear from you. So we're looking at who this prayer is for. It's for Jesus' people. It's not exclusive. If you're not a Christian, you're like, I wanna pray like that. Hey, come on in. (laughs) Trust Jesus Christ, it's for you. But this is for people who belong to Christ. It's a unique privilege. Not only is it a unique privilege, it's a unique passion. It's a unique passion. Prayer is about passion, right? It's about wanting something, isn't it? It's about desiring fellowship or things from God. It's about the heart. I I need something. I want something. Prayer is about passion. Do you see what kind of things evidently God's people are to be passionate about? God, you're my father. Okay, not everybody loves God like that. God, I want you to be holy and be seen as holy. God, I want your kingdom to come. God, forgive me of my sins. Help me to forgive others. The rest of the world doesn't have these passions, right? These are Christian passions. These are things that we uniquely as God's people want. And so this is not only an opportunity, it's also kind of a test, isn't it? I like what John Piper says. Look at this quote from Piper. He says, prayer is the revealer of the heart. Let me just pause for a moment. How is that true? How is prayer the revealer of your heart? Because it shows you what you actually functionally want, not just what you say you want. It reveals to you what you really want and how badly you really want it. Do you want the things that Jesus has said, hey, these are what we should want? So Piper says, prayer is the revealer of the heart. What a person prays for shows the spiritual condition of his heart. If we do not pray for spiritual things like the glory of Christ or the howling of God's name, the salvation of sinners, why don't we pray for it? Might be because you don't want it. It's probably because we don't desire these things. So this prayer is uniquely for God's people. It's a privilege to come and speak to God and it also shows the passion. It's what you want. Let's want these things. And you know, if you're sitting here like me and you're like, you know what, I read that and I want it, but I, I have to admit I don't want it like I should. Well, that's good. 
That's part of what the prayer is for as well, isn't it? Stir up in us, Lord, what we should want. Help me to want what you want. Form my heart to be yours. So this prayer is for God's people. It's a unique privilege, a unique passion for those who follow Christ. Second thing, how does prayer work? You know, each of these principles we're told to pray for, they echo a doctrinal truth, don't they? Have you heard of this before? Uh, God is triune and God is Father. That's a truth, right? A doctrinal truth. Or how about this? God is holy. Have you heard that before? I hope so. God is holy. Number three, hey, Jesus is king. His kingdom is coming. Have you heard that before? Propositional doctrinal truth. Oh, not only that, God provides for our needs. Have you heard that? Me too. God forgives and wants you to forgive others. So we have these doctrinal statements of truth. So what is prayer then about? I could just give you these doctrines. Hey, this is how it works. What are we doing all of a sudden with this truth as we pray? It makes the doctrine personal. Prayer makes truth personal. You're taking this truth, hopefully, that you know about, and you're embracing it into your own life and your own heart and your own mind and saying, I want that, and I want more of that. Help me to feel it. Help me to know it. Help me to live it. Give it to me, God. Give it to us, God. It's doctrine made personal. Lord, let me taste and enjoy and see these realities in my life, in my time, in my place, in my community. So uh, prayer turns the light on with this truth. Prayer turns the light on. It makes doctrine personal. And that's one reason it's so exciting. So now we get to these uh, seven principles. Did you see when Jesus was asked, he said, uh, when you pray, say, and then he gives us this prayer. Do you think that he meant the only way to pray or the way you should always pray is just to say the Lord's prayer and then be done with it? Or maybe if you're really passionate, you gotta say the Lord's Prayer like seven times. Or we could make those little necklaces with beads on them and make sure we say the Lord's Prayer 77 times a day. And then, wow, now you're really getting it. Is that the idea? It's like a mantra? No, not at all. Now, is it bad or wrong to pray the Lord's Prayer? Of course not. It helps you remember the principles. It helps you care about them. But rather than seeing it as like, oh, the Lord's Prayer, a mantra that you should pray, Jesus wants you to see these as principles that you're always praying. You're praying out these principles. So we want, as we learn about these principles, to just unpack them in our prayer and enjoy them in our prayer. So I've got seven for you. Are you ready? Seven principles. What's the first word of the prayer? Father. So what are you supposed to do when you pray, Father? What's that mean? You're supposed to enjoy the fatherhood of God for you in Jesus Christ. It's so amazing that this is how you start. How do you start to pray, people, Christian people? Where do you start? Start with the heart attitude that is inclined towards trusting and enjoying God's love for you as he is your father through Jesus Christ. So often we want to sneak in the back door on prayer. God, if you could only possibly hear me. Or we just jump right in on demands, you know. Hey, yo, ante up, God. Get, hold up, stop. Remember who he is to you and who you are to him. Father, and enjoy, first of all, enjoy his fatherly love for you. One of my favorite quotes on this is from J.I. Packer. He talks about the doctrine of adoption through faith in Christ. Packer says this, 
Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love, viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship and establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater you can't have one without the other, right? God has to forgive you as a judge first before he adopts you as a father. But to know him as your father, to enjoy his love, that's the first step into prayer. Second, not only would you enjoy his love, you need to trust his love. Trust the wisdom of his love in your life. Now, we have some parents in this room, maybe some people who maybe will be parents, or certainly I think you probably had a parent. Let me just ask you this. Would a parent be a good parent if they always and unequivocally said yes to every request their child ever made? Okay? Would, you be, would I be a good dad if I just said, you know, blank check yes to every request they ever made? You know, uh, my son, we probably only eat Krispy Kremes. <laughs> ever. Okay? Um, no, of course, it'd be terrible parenting. Terrible parenting to always say yes. Why? Well, there's still this thing where moms and dads know a little more than their kids, right? So should you then think that God the Father must always say yes to every one of your prayers in order for him to love you? I mean, can't you imagine that just like in this life, a human parent might be a little more wise than her child? How much more is God more wise than, than you. And so wouldn't he know um, how to handle the prayers you're throwing at him, how to work it out, how to, how to pave the way? Well, of course, and so trusting God's Father's his wisdom as we pray helps us trust uh, he knows what's best and he's working for good, which is why we can say, you know, as the, the way we've formed the, the prayer we repeat, your will be done. I can trust you. So we want to enjoy the fatherhood of God. There's more we could say about that, but I want to give you all seven principles today. Second thing, when you pray, what do you say next? Father, hallowed be your name. That's a word we kind of struggle with, hallowed, hallowed. How many of you have said that word this week? What does it mean? What does that mean? Well, it comes from the idea of holy, that God is holy. So then we say, let your name be holy. So let me ask you this. Are we praying that God maybe one day, if he keeps working hard, might be holy? We're rooting for you, Lord. Hope you can make it. Hope you can get to be holy. No, that's insane. That's terrible. That's heretical. Of course not, right? God already is infinitely, wonderfully holy. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're not praying, Lord, I hope one day you'll be holy. No, of course not. He is holy. Then why do we have to pray it? What does it mean? This is what it means. You're praying that you would see God for who he really is. That your heart would see God for who he really is. He wants to mess her up as he demeans God in her mind. He's not beautiful. He's not good. He's not holy. He's not set apart. He's not worth her loyalty. And, and we've all been struggling with it ever since. Our view of God is always injured and handicapped. We don't see how great and awesome and wonderful and terrible he truly and really is. We don't see his glory like we should. And so what do we pray then? Let me see. Show me. 
from your word by your spirit how holy you are so that I'll respond to you rightly. I'll respond with worship and reverence and trust and, and joy in who you are. Hallowed be your name in my heart. And then not only my heart, if you, if you think God's beautiful, you don't just wanna see him. What else do you want? You want everybody else to see him. Let us see you, Lord, as a church, as a family, my friends, my network. Let the world see how beautiful and holy you are. We sang it in our first song, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. We're quoting the angels from Isaiah 6 as we say that. You know, you think, you think the angels in Isaiah 6, 3, calling to one another, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You think they just got a memo from the, the heaven bureau of you know, management, and they're like, we want you to say that thing all day long. Okay, you think they stand there just holy, holy, is the Lord God? We just keep saying it? Holy, holy. Is that, is that what it's like for them, do you think? Is that how it works? Or is it more like these angels that are in God's presence as they see him, they're overwhelmed and they're shocked and they're undone and they can't help but say, you're so holy in the world, all the beauty of the earth, we see the beauty of your holiness in the glory of what you've made. The earth is full of your glory. You're so holy, and then they just can't get over it. They keep saying it. Oh, you're so holy. Don't you think that's what it's like? They're overwhelmed. So we're saying, God, show me. You know, if, if it's because we're bored with God and bored with prayer, do you think it's because God is boring? Or do you think it's because we're blind? Okay, we're blind. Help me see. Help us see. So that's the second thing. We, we enjoy God's fatherly love. We wanna revere his holiness. We're praying for that. The third principle, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. All throughout the gospels, Jesus Christ is proclaiming the kingdom of God. And of course, who is God's king? It's Jesus. The kingdom has come as Jesus came. But do we need it more fully expressed? Do we need it to grow? Where, where do you want Jesus' kingdom to come? I could think of three levels. One is, this prayer means, Jesus, be king in my heart. Be king in my heart. Do uh, any of you still struggle with idolatry? A couple of you might. I'm being really sarcastic, I'm sorry. Okay? Every time you sin, you've got a different king in your heart. It's you, or it's what people think, or it's, it's something. Every time you rebel, every time you're cruel, every time we're not loving, there's a different king in the heart. It, that's functional idolatry. You're, you're living for something other than God and who he is. Anytime we ever look, right, to, for something other than God to give us what only God can give, that's idolatry. So hi, my name's Matt. I'm recovering idolater. Okay, that's how, that's how this works. Idolatry Anonymous or, or something. Um, when we're praying God be king, it's like God boot out those idols. Jesus be king in my heart in every way. Be king over my body, my lifestyle, my money, my hopes, my dreams, my future, my plans. God, you be king. Help me trust you. Help me follow you. Help me obey you. Be king of my heart and my life. And then, of course, we're praying not only just let your kingdom come here, let it come out there. 
Let be king in others' hearts. Be king in the hearts of my church community, of my friends. So this is a missionary prayer. Let the gospel spread that the kingdom of God would grow in more and more hearts and minds. People would trust themselves to Jesus as king. We pray this when we pray for justice or, or for peace. Lord, that the echoes of your kingdom would be seen in how people treat one another. Let your kingdom come. And then, so the, the third level then is, as we prayed earlier this morning, come on back. <laughs> Aren't you hungry for the day when he comes and it's no longer a kingdom by faith or waiting for it to be fulfilled, but it's here in all its reality and evil and injustice are vanquished and our sorrows and our griefs are over and we are blissfully in the new kingdom, the heavens and the earth. So Jesus, come back. Let your kingdom come in me, in others. Come back explicitly on the earth. We're supposed to be praying for this. First principle, enjoy the fatherly love of God. Pray that you'd revere his holiness and see who he is. Three, desire the kingdom to come. Finally, in verse three, what do we get to? Give us each day our daily bread. Don't you think that's just representatives for all the daily needs of our lives? You, you got anything to put under this list? Health needs, financial needs, relational needs, all the circumstantial needs we face in our lives. Lord, provide for us. But do you, do you think it's also interesting that the prayer doesn't start like this? What did you get about God, you know, way before you ever get to circumstantial needs? You remember that he's a father, a wise father? You remember that he's holy? You remember everything's all about his kingdom? That's really intentional on Jesus' part, don't you think? Before we ever get to our circumstantial needs, we've been given a framework by which to understand them. A framework as to how you filter and understand these needs. And so then it, it changes how you pray for these needs, doesn't it? Lord, help me see you as holy in the midst of this challenge. Or God, let your kingdom come as I face this. Help me face this in a way that's faithful to you. Give me what I need to walk through this life and, and what I'm facing in a way that pleases and honors you. And yeah, provide for me, help me. Give me the strength I need. Give me the resources I need. But it changes the whole angle of the prayer. You know, God's just not a vending machine anymore who exists to, you know, make me happy in this life. We've gone so much deeper than that now. He's a father who's working all things for his glory and our good. And so now we're praying these circumstantial needs in, in the spotlight of who he is and what he said to us. Provide for our needs, Lord, for your glory. Let your will be done. That was the fourth principle. Here's the fifth. Look at verse four. What should we pray when we pray, church? Forgive us our sins. For we for ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. What do you need to do when you pray? Confess your sin and ask for forgiveness. Now again, we could say hun for you. He's forgiven all your sins, true, amen? Can I get one and amen for that? That's good, you hoping on that, right? Need that, pretty bad? God's forgiven all your sins. Well, if he's already forgiven all my sins, why confess and ask for forgiveness? Why am I doing this every time I pray? You know, once this lady named Marsha, um, I was at this church service and I was up on front all dressed up and she was next to me and she promised that she was gonna love me forever, for better or worse. And so I've just decided that since she's promised to love me, I don't need to ask her for forgiveness anymore. 
what would happen if I lived like that? What would happen? I mean, what a, what a stupid thing, right, <laughs> to do. And, and it would break and corrupt and, and, and cheat that relationship. And I would treat her as if uh, she has no value and I don't care about our union or our intimacy or our friendship, okay? Why would you treat God that way? Do you have a, a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? I mean, look at what he's supposed to be called. He's not just king, he's father. You have a relationship with him that we wanna abide in his love on a daily basis. And so when we come and say, Lord, here's my sins, please forgive me. We wanna be clean before him in that relationship. We realize that our sin um, displeases him. It even grieves him. And so we want to come clean and say, I'm sorry, forgive me, because that relationship of love is so valuable to us. Do you see? It's coming to get clean and get right and get close with this God who loves us and who we love as well. Forgive us. And then it says, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. How do you feel about that language? We ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us. Ah! Was that like a sort of kind of here and there when I can kind of forgiveness? Or was that more of an absolute, I will always forgive those who sin against me? And the reason, Lord, you know, there's a for here. Forgive us our sins. For we forgive everyone. There's a, there's a claim here on you, right? Uh, Forgiveness has a cost, doesn't it? Uh, I think it was Tim Keller who gave this illustration once. It kind of stuck with me. He talked about a lamp. So say I went over to your house for coffee and, you had, and you're like a lamp collector, okay? Isn't this fun? And I bump your lamp and it's like, oh no, I've broken your lamp. Well, you paid money for that lamp or somebody did. Okay? Maybe somebody knew you were a lamp collector and they bought you a special lamp, okay? But anyway, this lamp, this is broken. And so now there, it's, it, there has been a, a debt incurred, okay? You are down that lamp. You either have to go buy a new lamp or you have to do without the lamp. There's a, there's a brokenness there. There's a hole. There's a missing. And so you can either say, hey, bro, pay up. That's my favorite lamp, okay? And then I fill the, I fill the hole with a cost that I have to pay. Or you can say, hey, don't worry about it. I'll let it go. You can forgive it. And then you have to pay the cost. You either go without a lamp or you buy a new lamp. Do you see? There's always a cost to be paid with forgiveness. And that's exactly right. Somebody's hurt you. They've broken something. They've sinned against you. They've marred something. And you can either get revenge or you can make them pay with passive aggressive. Or you can, how's it going to go? You make them pay the cost. Or you can say, I forgive it. I'm gonna let it go, which means you're paying the cost. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna wear it, and you're, and you're gonna just not hold it against them. Folks, why is it such a demand that Christians act like that? Why is it this, you know, this blatant principle of we will forgive those who are indebted to us? Why? Don't you know? Do you have a record of debt against a holy God? Mine's a long list. I have a record of debt, sin after sin after sin after sin, rebellion after rebellion. I haven't loved him 
as I should love him. I haven't loved my neighbor as I should love my neighbor. I have a huge record of debt. Colossians 2 tells us what Jesus did. He went to the cross, and that record of debt was paid by Jesus Christ on the, on the cross. I mean, literally, he bore my debt. He paid my debt on the cross, and he's forgiven me of all my sins. When I confess and I say, God, forgive me, he forgives me of all my sins because he paid the debt. And so he's saying, because I paid the debt for you. What do we do, church? You pay the debt in forgiveness for others. And man, we need to pray, don't we? We need to pray. Is forgiveness easy? Uh, some, sometimes some things aren't so bad. But every one of us has had something that stuck, right? Something that hurt. Something that got us in the kidneys. Something that was real offensive. Something that doesn't go away easy. Man, you got... Have you forgiven that person? Have you forgiven them? It does, there's wisdom issues here, right? It doesn't always mean the relationship's like it was. Sometimes it does, but it doesn't always. The wisdom issues on some of these things. But do you want that person to pay the cost? Are you rooting for their doom? Are you hoping for the karma trampoline to bounce back some nastiness on them? Or have you let it go? Can you pray for their good? Can you pray for their welfare? Can you pray that they'll thrive? And can you not, can you not be bitter anymore? Have you forgiven? You gotta pray this out. Pray this out, God help me forgive. I forgive, I proclaim that I forgive. Help me feel it that I forgive, right? We got work to do in praying, don't we? There's work. Father, help me know it. Help me know your love. Hallowed be your name. Let me see it. Let others see it. Your kingdom come. Be king in my heart. Be king in others. Provide for my needs, Lord. Help me forgive. Number six, lead us not into temptation. God never leads anyone to sin. What does this prayer mean? What does this prayer mean? It means help me fight my sin, okay? That's what it means. Help me fight my sin. Don't let me get somewhere where I can't handle it and I turn away from you. You know, on, on Wednesdays, we've been doing our Bible study through Samuel. And it's just ringing out to me as an illustration here. We've watched David's life. And man, that guy gets anointed as king and then faces years and years and years of sorrow and tribulation and all these enemies, Saul and the Philistines and this and that and the other thing. As he trusts the Lord, it's amazing to watch. Nothing can beat him. God gets him through every single thing. Nothing can beat him. And by the end of 2 Samuel, I guess, uh, 10, uh, all his enemies are conquered. God has been so faithful. There's one thing that rots David out. There's one thing that ruins him. It wasn't the great army of the Edomites or the Ammonites or any of the ites. It wasn't Saul. It wasn't all these challenges. He's undefeated through all that. There's one thing that ruins him. And do you know what it was? It was his own sin. He saw the lady bathing on the roof and he said, I'm gonna have that. And it ruined and corrupted and rotted everything. You know what your biggest problem in life is. Please don't think this, I don't mean to sound harsh, okay? Your biggest problem in life, it, it's not our health problems. It's not our financial problems. It's not political problems. It's not anything out there. It really isn't. You know what your biggest problem in life is? It's in here. It's, it's your own bent towards sin. That's my biggest problem. And so given that it's our biggest problem, what should be right there in your prayer list? 
Help me, Lord, not to sin against you. Help me, Lord, to be faithful to you. Deliver me from my own sin. Seventh principle. Let's just back up on the principles. What do we got? Trust the fatherly love of God. Number two, revere his holiness. Number three, desire his kingdom. Number four, provide our needs. Number five, forgiveness. Number six, protection from sin. Here's the last one. Just real quick. Look through verses one to three. How many plurals do you get? Plurals. One of his disciples said, Lord, teach me to pray. Is that what it said? Teach what? Us to pray. Uh, Verse three. Give me my daily bread. Forgive me my sins. No, us, 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 we, 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 us, we, us. Do you see it? Of course, it's not wrong for you to pray this individually, but there's a we and an us in here that's really strong. It's really fundamental. What does that mean for prayer? It means that, of course, you should pray for yourself, but you gotta pray in and for your community. These are community prayers. Help there to be forgiveness in us. Folks, pray for your church when you pray this prayer. Pray for your church. Pray for your family. Pray for your relationships, your friendships, your marriage, your your children. Whatever whatever you've got community-wise, pray this out. Pray this for Fountain of Life. Pray it for the church universal. Pray it for the church in India. This is an us prayer. Pray it together. Pray it for community. All right, let's get to our last last, uh, idea here. So we've done who the prayer's for. It's a privilege and a passion for Jesus' people. We've seen principles for prayer. Now let's look, we'll finish here with the attitude of prayer. Do you see Jesus' story in verses five to eight? So here's the story, you know, uh, company arrives at 1 a.m. In the ancient Near East, and it's still, it's still in, the, in the Eastern world today, there's this deep thing, you owe hospitality and you will give it, okay? I, I received that this week. The poorest of people will make you the most grand feasts and you're gonna eat it, you know? It's this deep principle of hospitality and so Jesus is leaning on this, you know? So, so here you are in your, in your hut and uh, the company arrives at 1 a.m. and you will and must feed them. Oh no, you don't have anything. Well, guess what you're gonna do? Not only do you owe hospitality, your community owes it. And so you're knocking on your friend's door. Give me, what is it, you know? Give me some bread, to feed my neighbors. And then your neighbor's like, leave me alone. (laughs) Why? I finally got my kids to sleep. Leave me alone. We sleep in one room. Go away. My family's asleep. We're all asleep. Leave me alone. And the guy's like, I need the bread. Leave me alone. Leave. And finally, he gets up to give the bread, not because he loves his neighbor, but because he just wants to be left alone. (laughs) Do you see the illustration? He just wants to be left alone. Fine, leave me alone. And then Jesus gives this idea of lesser to the greater, okay? Jesus says, if you can get something from your neighbor like that, your neighbor who's kind of stingy, your neighbor who just wants to be left alone, if you can get something from your neighbor like that, how much more, how much more can you get what you need from your generous, generous father in heaven? And then Jesus brings up this illustration of fatherhood, right? In verses nine to 10, he says, I tell you, ask and it'll be given to you. What will be given to you? A new car. 
I think he's talking about the stuff in verses one to four, don't you? I will give that to you. You pray you'll see my holiness, you'll see it. You pray you wanna enjoy my fatherly love, you'll enjoy it. These are, yes. Lord, help me fight my sin, yes. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it'll be open. And then he gives this illustration. What father among you, if his son asked for a fish, would give him a snake? Now my son would think that was cool. But it's a different context here, right? Snakes are dangerous. The kid wants to eat and there's something dangerous here. Or uh, he wants an egg, he'll get a scorpion. My kid would think that was cool too. Different context, scorpions are dangerous. The issue is, and, and don't you love this backhanded compliment? If you then, who are evil, okay? Jesus is talking to who? His disciples. If you then, who are evil, but you're, you're still decent parents, you know, Peter's like, I wouldn't give my kid a scorpion, I'd give him an egg. If you, being evil, are still decent parents and you give good things to your kids, how much more? Will your generous Father give you the what? Verse 13, the Holy Spirit. So one thing to see, your Father, you don't know how ready he is to dump out what you need on you. He's so generous. Uh, Reminded of a verse in James, right? You don't have because you don't. He didn't ask. He's so generous, he wants to pour it out on you. But then he gives you this thing that kind of hops out of nowhere. Um, How much more will the heavenly father give what? Who? The Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit have to do with the first part of the prayer that we've been studying? Everything. How do you know and feel that God is your father? Read Paul, the spirit of adoption is poured out in you so that by the spirit you say, oh, Father, the same spirit that's in Jesus, right? The spirit of the love between the Father and the Son. Pray that he'll be poured out in you, that your heart say, Father, Father, and you know him like you should. Or what does the spirit have to do with you seeing God and his beauty? Everything, everything. Show me, Lord, by the Holy Spirit. Make this truth come alive. What does the spirit have to do with the kingdom spreading? Everything, everything, by whose help is it that you obey and spread the gospel and all that, the spirit, and on and on. The spirit is the one who brings this prayer into life. And so pray, Lord, fill us with the spirit and do your will in us. Help us love what we want, love what you want as we pray these principles. Pray for the spirit with what kind of an attitude? Should you be shy, hesitant, or should you be like the neighbor who won't quit knocking? God, give this to me. God, give this to me. Do you see the invitation here? God is saying to you, nag me. Pursue me. Come after me with these prayers. I love to hear it. I love to give it. You know, uh, so we, we live in the United States of America, wonderful place to live, generally speaking. But you've each been taught a hyper-individualism because of that. And you almost can't escape it. And then true maturity and toughness is to handle things on your own, right? And you think, oh, I shouldn't bother other people with my problems. Okay, there's some good in that. We appreciate that sometimes. But please don't think you should come to God in that way. 
Please don't think that's good for your relationship with God. You want to come to the Father, Jesus says, come like a child. You know what my children do to me? (laughs) Give me stuff, okay? Especially little kids, right? I'm hungry. I'm thirsty. Hey, can you help? Hey, can you, right? And, And how does the Father want you to come to him? Come like that. Don't ever be shy to come. Come and ask. Come and lean on his generosity. The attitude of prayer is impudence or a bold endurance in come through. Look at this uh, quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, the same holy boldness, this argumentation, this reasoning, this putting the case to God, pleading his own promises, oh, that is the whole secret of prayer, I sometimes think. Do not leave him alone. Pester him, as it were, with his own promise. Tell him what he said he's going to do. Quote the scripture to him. God is our father and loves us, and he likes to hear us pleading his own promises. It delights his heart. Amen? So pray, folks, like a Christian. Pray like you're privileged to do so. Pray these passions that Jesus has given us. Pray the truth like it's personal. Pray out these principles. Pray boldly for the Holy Spirit. So one application for you this week. What do you think you should do as a response to this passage? It's not rocket science, but you're going to get distracted Tuesday morning or Wednesday night or guess what you need to do? Set aside time to pray. Pray these principles. How many are you going to do that with me this week? Set aside time to pray these principles. I'll close with this encouragement from Andrew Murray. Murray says, Christians often complain that their private prayer is not what it should be. They feel weak and sinful and their hearts are cold and dark. It is as if they have no faith or joy in what little they have to pray about. They're discouraged and kept from prayer by the thought that they cannot come to the Father as they ought to. Can any of you relate with Murray here? Okay. Look at what he says next. Child of God, listen to your teacher. He tells you that when you go to private prayer, your first thought must be that the Father is waiting for you there. Don't let a cold, prayerless heart keep you from the presence of the loving Father. The Lord is concerned about you the way a father is concerned about his children, but about how much he wants to give to you. That's right in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, We thank you for this invitation, Lord, to know you in this way, to trust you in this way. And I pray for all my brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, that you'd give us new encouragement and inspiration to seek you in prayer. And Jesus, we pray that you would be our teacher. Help us come to our God as Father through what you've done for us in your cross and resurrection. Lord, give us these passions that we see in this prayer. Let us want to see you and have others see you and see your kingdom grow through us and in us. And Lord, we pray that you give us this impudence, God, that we would have endurance in boldly pursuing you according to your word in faith, God, the faith that you desire it and you delight in us. Uh, So Lord, we look forward to times of prayer and we look forward to seeing you answer generously by the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
and we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.